Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. If you're with me in the book of Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 16, I want to read it and will you follow along? It says, Now the eleventh disciples went to Galilee. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And He says here, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, I spent seven years in college. First off, learning how to study the Bible, learning how to teach the Bible. And second, I spent in getting the degree in management and finance on which I used 22 years of banking. I was in banking 22 years. I did bivocational preaching and banking. And I say that to say this, that I learned a lot about investments and investing. What I have come to learn is that there's no greater investment than investing in people. And I've learned that. It's sad when we come to the point where we give up on people. Why do I say that? Because we are called to make disciples. And that's what Jesus tells us here in Matthew 28. And so second, we are to look at this example of Jesus that He set before us. He never gave up on people. In fact, He went to the cross and He died when all His disciples fled the scene. If you know what I'm talking about, you study the Scripture, all His disciples, they fled. They left. Peter denied Christ three times. And we read at the end of the book of John, Jesus restores Peter in telling Peter to follow Him and to take care of His flock. It's a remarkable story about how Christ didn't give up on Peter. And He reinstated Peter for what He called him to do. We also read in the book of John chapter 20 where Jesus, he appeared to the doubting Thomas and he tells him to reach out his hands, put your hands in my fingers, put your hand in my side, stop doubting and believe. What a loving and patient savior we have as we see here. Ephesians 6:12 tells us this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but is against the ruler, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness, of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So I say that because sometimes we start to fight each other, right? We start to bicker with each other and get mad at each other. And we forget our true calling as believers. And so you have an enemy that loves to divide the church. He loves to divide it. He hates when Christ's bride continues on the cycle of investing in people and making disciples. Because why? That's what Jesus left us with. That's what He called us to do. So He hates that when we continue on what Jesus has called us to do. So every follower of Jesus 
Every follower of Jesus should be able to answer these two simple questions. And they go like this if you're taking note. Who is investing in me and who am I investing in? I want to share a story that I recently read by Joe Rosenberg called The Invested Life. Now, I shared with you what's, what I wanted to share, but it's on my heart. Now, I've been praying and seeking, and as I read Matthew 28, I've been seeking the Lord, you know, what does discipleship look like in our world today? And I've been praying about it, I've been reading and studying God's holy word and just studying this, what, this story come up, and uh, it's, his name's Bok Singh, just in case you want to look him up sometime so you know I'm not lying about who he is. You spell it like this, B-A-K-H-T. S-I-N-G-H. And I hope I'm saying his name right. Bok Singh. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but have you ever heard of John and Edith Hayward? Probably not. Not unless you read the same book that I read. But here it is. There's a story that's remarkable about this couple. In December of 1929, just about the time Wall Street was crashing and the world was beginning to slide into this terrible financial depression, this unassuming Canadian couple made an investment and it paid off big for them. You see, the Haywards were asked by a friend to take in a young man from India under their wings. They prayed about it and by God's grace and His direction, they agreed to take him in. This man's name was Bok Singh. He was an engineering student and miraculously had just trusted in Christ. They gave his life to Christ as his personal Savior just months before moving in with this couple. A couple who loved the Lord, the Haywards loved the Lord with all their heart. The Haywards asked Singh to live with them. Despite the financial strain of the Great Depression that was upon them, he did so for the next three years. He lived with them. Little did the Haywards know what they were embarking upon. Those three years provided absolutely crucial for Bok Singh's spiritual and personal development in his life. The Haywards, they showed him the love and the warmth and the nurturing of a close Christian family to him. They had meals together. They studied Scripture together. They prayed together. And they answered all his many questions that he had about Christianity. They modeled biblical hospitality to Bot Singh. Eventually, it was time for Bot Singh to return back home to India. And he, as he did, he asked God. He prayed and got on his knees and he asked God to use him to touch his fellow countrymen for the sake of Christ, for the love of Christ. And God answered this man's prayer. Over the course of the next seven decades, Singh went on to become the greatest Christian evangelist, disciple maker, and church planter in the history of India, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to millions, igniting a spiritual revolution that continues to this day. This is India's Billy Graham. This guy, he ignited this great spiritual revolution. And now here's the rest of the story that I want to share with you. Edith Hayward's dream in life was to go to India and be a missionary in India. But the Lord had other plans for her. She married John. She had children. Ministered faithfully to those in her community in Canada. The Lord never gave her the opportunity to go to the country that she longed to reach Christ for. Yet, by opening up her home 
to an unknown, lonely, international student and working with her husband and investing in this student's spiritual growth, she helped prepare a man who would go on to bear more spiritual fruit than any other Indian in history. And it's a remarkable story. Of course, she didn't realize what was happening at the time that she was discipling him, that they were discipling him. Nor could she imagine how her family investment would pay off as God anointed Bot Singh and used him so mightily. What a wonderful testimony and what a wonderful model for us. By faithfully doing something small, seems so small, by taking something, someone in, by doing something small, she did something well. They did something well. John and Edith Hayward did something big. By investing in one, they blessed many and helped change the spiritual destiny of millions. So back to our question as we look through this commission that the Lord gave us. These two questions, who am I investing in and who is investing in me? God desires to pour an abundance of spiritual and emotional capital into your life directly and through older and wiser believers. And He wants to use you to pour spiritual and emotional capital in the lives of others. Along the way, you'll be changed. Others will be changed. You will grow. Others will grow. You will feel loved and others will feel loved. You will experience God and His community in a new and personal and supernatural way. And so will others. God calls this process of spiritual investing making disciples. It's the heart of the Great Commission in God's Word. It's the vision of the church that Christ left when He ascended. It's the vision of the church. It's the secret of a healthy and joyful and secure spiritual life. It's called a life that is truly investing in the true calling of Christ. So let's look at this as we look at this verse. And He tells us, He tells 11, Now go therefore and make disciples. Who's, the, who's in the investor here? God. He is in the business of turning nothing into something and a little into a lot. And that's the greatness of our God. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read the story of God creating the heavens and the earth out of nothing and man in, out of dust. Hard to believe. And woman out of man. And God said that it was good. In John 2, 1 through 11, we read the story of the wedding where Jesus turned six stone jars of water into wine, each holding about 20 and 30 gallons of wine. In Luke 9, 10 through 17, we read the story of Jesus turning five loaves of bread and two fish into enough to feed more than 5,000 people. That's the greatness of our God. He can turn Nothing into something and a little into a lot. And my friends, that's exactly what He wants to do in our lives. That's exactly what He wants to do in your life. Think about it. Once you were nothing, then suddenly in the blink of an eye, you were born into this wonderful and miraculous world we call human family and human life. 
You were miraculously born again and transformed into a member of God's own family. Just as you were born physically, you were born again spiritually through the knowledge of accepting Jesus as your Savior. The Apostle Paul, he puts it this way in Ephesians 2, 12-19. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, without hope, without God in the world. But now, Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, are strangers, but now you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Not only does God want to turn your nothingness into something, He also wants to turn what little human capital that you think you have into more that you could ever hope for, dream of, or even imagine. He, only want, he not only wants to give you eternal life, He wants to give you the abundant life. How do I know that? Because Jesus said so Himself in John 10.10. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That it might be significant and meaningful of what He's called you to do. The question is, what does the abundant life look like in itself? He says here in the In John 15, 16, You did not choose Me, but I chose you. Why? Why did Jesus choose us? A bunch of knucklehead humans that mess a lot of things up. Why did He choose us? What is it that He wants for us? To make lots of money? To have lots of toys? To have lots of power and world success? No, not at all. Jesus said, I have chosen you that you may go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Ah, so the abundant life, according to Jesus, is a fruitful life. So then let's look at that. And what is a fruitful life? The Bible gives us two answers to this question. First, there's the fruit of our changed character. What Paul describes in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you abide in Christ Jesus and His love abides in you, you begin to exemplify these fruits. You will begin to bear the fruit of Christ's likeness in your character as you live. You will then begin to experience a deep sense of joy and personal satisfaction that comes from pleasing the heart of God. We get this great joy from pleasing the Lord. And so, second, Jesus wants you to bear the fruit of winning souls to God's kingdom and helping them to grow to spiritual maturity. Consider Paul's passion of bearing fruit. By preaching the Gospel in Rome, Romans 1.13, as he had with the Colossians in Colossians 1.6, and how he described new converts to Christ as the first fruits. In 1 Corinthians 16.15, consider too the parable of the seed and the sower. And it's also in Matthew 13 and Mark 4, Jesus told the story, and he tells the story of a farmer who went out to sow seeds in a field. Some fell along the path, some landed on rocky places, 
Some fell on the thorns, but some of the seed fell on good soil where they produced a crop that was much greater than what was planted. The seed represents the gospel message. And the seed falling on good soil represents someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. And so we see this great story. A fruitful person is one who hears the gospel, the good news of Christ in this great commission. A call to a life of knowing Christ, making Him known, and helping people grow in their faith and following Him wholeheartedly. In this process, not only is He saved, not only are you saved and transformed, but also helps others come along and discover God's love and plan for their lives. This is the invested life. Jesus invested in us. We invest in others. And in the process, in this process of investing in others, God turns nothing into something and a little into a lot. I promise you that. I'm amazed all the time that God uses me. When, when I'm ministering to somebody and say, yeah, I want to accept Christ, I'm like, what? That's amazing. Like, God takes what little we have and He turns it into great because that's what He's into. That's what He wants to do. That's why He gave His life. That's why He stepped out of heaven and onto earth so that you could have the spiritual connection back to God. That's what it's all about for Him. And that's why when He left this earth, He gave you this great commission. He didn't just say, sit aside, do what you want. He's like, go out, make disciples. Baptizing all nations, everyone around you, spreading the gospel. But what happens with this in investing is there's risks. Investing life requires taking risks. There's no way around it. Only one thing for sure. You can't win if you don't play. You can't lead someone to Christ if you don't go out there and seek them out and pray for people and get involved and get your hands dirty with people. In Matthew 25, 14-30, Jesus told the parable of the talent. He explained that the kingdom of God is like a wealthy CEO who, as he is departing on this journey, entrusted his capital to wise stewards and his associates. To one, he entrusted five talents, worth about $5,000 in U.S. money. To another, he entrusted two talents, which is worth about $2,000. And to the third, he entrusted one talent, which is worth about $1,000. So here it is. A long time later, the wealthy man returns from his journey. He wants to know what kind of return he has on his investment, on his money. The first associate, he comes and explains that his investment doubled in value. His five talents have turned into ten talents. Wow! That, if you know my numbers, that's a 100% return. Not too bad. And so, he goes on. The second associate also explains that his investment doubled in value. True, he began with less capital, just two talents, but now he has four he also secured a 100% return. Impressive. To each of these associates, this wealthy CEO in the story in the Bible says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, the third associate. However, if you know the story, 
However, he has a completely different story than the first two. He tells the CEO that he was afraid to make any investments of any kind, even conservative investments at all. Instead, what does he do? He hides the CEO's money in the ground. And so the wealthy CEO, he fires the man immediately saying, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and I gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back at least what I gave you with interest. So here it is in this great story. It's God's primary focus. Is it his focus here to encourage us to pay more attention to our financial portfolios? No, not in this parable. No, God is encouraging us to pay more attention to our spiritual portfolio and our spiritual life. His main point is not that we should focus on multiplying money, though we should definitely be wise and faithful stewards of what God has given us and the resources. His point is that he wants us to focus on knowing him more deeply, obeying him faithfully and multiplying the number of men and women to his kingdom and developing the spiritual depth and character of his children. And that's what we see in this story. In this story and in similar ones that Jesus tells in Luke 19, 12 through 27, we learn through this that God invests in us. He gave his life for us and he expects us to invest in others. If we obey, if we agree to live this invested life, then we will please the heart of God and experience spiritual abundance and joy in this life, in the life to come in eternity. But if we refuse, if we hide or spend what God has given us rather than properly investing what He's given us, we will find ourselves feeling empty and alone. And you see this in a lot of Christians. And it's sad. It, it, it bugs me because I'm so sad for these Christians because they begin to focus on the here and the now and what's going on in this world and get caught up and entangled in the things of this world. And they lose their joy. Man, we got great joy in Christ. I don't know about you, but I get excited about Jesus. I get excited about His Word because He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And we get to have a relationship with Him. That's a crazy. I'm amazed every day. It's like people say, hey, do you know this famous football player? No, but I know Jesus Christ, and he's way more famous than that guy. And he knows you when you have a relationship. That's what amazes me. And yet, we get entangled in the things of this world, and we forget our purpose. We forget. And you know, I love bringing someone to the knowledge of Christ. I love watching new believers, and that's why I work with youth, because... Man, they're hungry. They're hungry for the Lord. They're hungry for truth. They've been told all these lies and they don't even know what absolute truth is anymore. And we have the truth in our hands, on our phones, all around us. The Word of God is in our hands and we have this truth. So, spiritual investing requires risk. But with risk comes great reward. Which brings us to the subject of making disciples as we see in Matthew 28 where Jesus gives us this great commission. As He leaves, He says, go. He doesn't say, eh, hang out, do what you want. He says, go. I don't know what that word means to you, but when you say go, it means go. It means move. It means go. Go. 
therefore, and make disciples. I think he's telling us to do something. So he says, go therefore and make disciples. So Christianity is not a solo sport. It's about building strong, healthy teams of fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ whom God can use to change the world. It's about older believers pouring into younger believers and taking them under their wing, helping them grow in Christ and walking with them and reproducing their faith in these younger believers and teaching them about God. That's what Jesus did when He picked the twelve men. He prayerfully recruited a team of young men. He invested in them. He cared for them like family, loving them with an everlasting sacrificial love. He led them on to spiritual adventures. He modeled a life of intense prayer. He let them see supernatural answers to their prayers. He gave them assignments. He fed the hungry, cared for the sick and the brokenhearted. And He preached the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He treated them like sons. He corrected their mistakes along the way, praised their successes, marked their progress, and then He told them to go out and invest in others. He told His disciples to go out and make disciples. He told them to build warm and loving and nurturing and spiritually reproducing communities called the local church. And in this process, Jesus ignited the greatest spiritual revolution the world has ever seen. And that's why we're here today. That's why we have church today. That's why we're here. Because Jesus lit a fire in them. Gave them spiritual life. And they spread the gospel. And that's why we have God's Word. And that's why we've heard of Jesus. That's why we are here where we are today. Because He took twelve, He invested in them, and He turned the world right side up for Him. This is the essence of Matthew 28, 19-20 commonly known as the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end. Commanding you always. And He's with us all the way to the very end. That's awesome. The problem is that nearly... Somewhat 2,000 years later, sad to say, remarkably few Christians are able to point to a single disciple that they've made or in the process of making or pouring into. And I don't say that to hurt anybody's feelings. I say that because it's hard. You know, indeed, many are hard-pressed to even define the word or the phrase disciples. Why is that? Because we get caught up in, you know, life's hard or this or that or whatever it is that's pulled these young believers away. And that's what the purpose of the church is. You see, we're really good at leading people to the Lord. But the hard part is getting our hands dirty and walking through life with them. You see, that's the hard part. Encouraging them, hey man, stay in the Word. Don't get discouraged. I'm going to walk through you with the troubles, the heartaches, the problems, and that's what God has called us to do. You see, Jesus, He didn't come to make Christians. The world gave us that nickname in Acts 11.26. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus came to make disciples. Fully devoted followers of Him. 
Therefore, isn't it enough to win people to Christ? That's the most, one of the most important things is developing that relationship and them coming to know Christ, but it's building them up in Christ. Now, I think the church is real good about leading people to the Lord, but we have this problem of stepping back and, oh, where is so-and-so, man? I haven't seen him in a while. Pick up the phone. Go knock on his door. Where you been? Man, what's going on? Are you okay? And I find nine times out of ten, they hit their knees crying. Man, I got involved in this, or I started straying away, or and something's happened in their life. And when you begin to pour into them and say, man, here's, here's what happens when you talk to the Lord and seek His Word, and it's crazy how that believer comes back and then you teach them to make disciples. See, we've kind of failed in that area. And that's what Jesus did. He walked through them hand in hand, loving them. And so, as we come here and we see this, to be fully devoted to followers, this requires training, Christian leadership, vocational ministers, as well as lay people and volunteers to see themselves as investors. After all, the key to Christ's definition of success in ministry is that we produce successors. Disciple makers who produce still more disciples. And then when you leave this earth, you've done what God's called you to do. And then you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That's when we get the rest. How is it possible for all the emphasis in most of the churches these days is just on winning souls to Christ and world missions that Christians have missed this personal, intentional discipleship, God's plan and purpose for His people. How is it that we have more and more seeker churches, but so few investor churches? Churches that commit to helping Christians achieve a healthy balance of evangelism and discipleship in their daily walk with the Lord. And which brings us back around all the way, we've come a long way, we've come all the way back around to this original question. Who is investing in you? Who has invested in you? Who has taught you the Word of God? Who led you to Christ? Who poured into you? Who became your mentor? And then in turn, who are you turning and investing in? You know, it doesn't matter who it is that you start to invest in people and love them and walk through life with them. Okay, now that you have asked yourself this question, these two questions, Let's get into this application part of God's Word. How do I apply this? And how does this work? I think it's important when we look at God's Word and we look at a verse that we learn how to apply it to our lives. How do we apply it to our daily walks? You see, in John thirteen thirty five, Jesus Christ said this, By this all men will know that you are My disciples. If you have love, for one another. By this you'll know that you're my disciple, that you love one another. Okay, you ask, how can I find someone to invest in me? Maybe nobody's ever invested in me. That's a good question. Allow me to have some suggestions here for getting you started. First, you pray. You seek and you ask. Step one, pray. Maybe you know you should be discipled, but don't really know what to, what to do. Pray and ask God to change your heart and give you this humility and hunger to be discipled by someone. Maybe you are eager to be discipled, 
but fear you won't be able to find someone with spiritual maturity to invest in you. Pray, God knows your heart. He can and will bring someone into your life to disciple you. If need be, He can even move somebody right close to you. I've seen Him do it. Move somebody right next door to you or even move you to some place. Step two, seek. Pray daily, faithfully, and continually. Scan the horizon. Seek to identify an older and wiser believer, someone whose life and ministry exhibits biblical qualities you know you need yourself to develop. Depending on what stage of life that you're in, the qualifications and maturity of this person may look different in your life. Okay, so we've looked at that. Now, what is the key here to discipleship? Let's take a brief overview of the discipleship model Jesus gave us Himself. Then we'll begin to see how to apply these key principles to our own ministry and discipleship. Consider the following passage which describes the moment when Jesus identified the twelve that He picked, His twelve disciples. He went up on the mountain and He summoned those who he Himself He wanted. And they came to Him. And He pointed the twelve so that they would be with Him and He could send them out to preach and to have authority and to cast out demons and appoint the twelve. And He did this, you can read this in Mark three thirteen through 19 Scripture teaches us that Jesus did not invest in just one. He called individuals to follow Him. Then He formed a group and built a team of men. This is a key point. One of the keys to success is investing in diversity. If you invest all your retirement or savings in one company or stock, what happens when that stock crashes and burns? you would be left with nothing, right? It's much wiser to invest in a variety of stocks and bonds from a wide range of different types of companies and different sectors of the economy so that you would benefit from the increasing value of each. Now, I'm not trying to give you a lesson on financial stuff, so don't let me lose you there. But this same principle applies in our spiritual walk and our spiritual diversity. You know, think about this. Jesus pours into these twelve. What if He would have poured everything He had just in Judas alone? What if He said, you know what? I'm just going to focus on this one and pour everything in Him. Because I I believe, judging from Scripture, that Jesus walked with Judas too. He loved Judas. He did everything He can to pour into this guy. But He poured into eleven others too. And you see what happened? Judas, man, He... He never got it. But these others, they did, man. They fell face for the Lord. And they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And they changed the world that we know today. They turned this world for Christ. Jesus didn't invest in just one. He invested in many. And that's, where, that's why we are where we are today. So if we look at this, there's an importance of preaching the gospel. Yes, we want to preach the gospel, but we want to walk through life with people. And that's how we apply this to our lives. And so one, we look at this. First, we teach. You sit down with someone, you teach them the Word of God. You tell them, man, I love to go through the Roman road and Romans, you know, walk them through Romans and how we are dead in our trespasses of sin. But Christ gives us life. 
We begin to teach that to them. We teach them the Scriptures of how to come to the knowledge of who Jesus is. So you teach. And then you go on and you do this thing called correcting. This is the part we hate. You know, oh man, yeah, you read the Bible, man. God doesn't want you to live like that anymore. Make some changes, you know, not behavioral modification, but heart transformation. And I always tell people when I disciple them, if you see something in my life, you correct me too. Because, hey, I'm human too. And it works great as you develop this relationship and you begin to teach and you begin to correct and you develop this relationship with each other and you begin to walk through life with each other as you disciple. And then we model. We model what God has called us to do. And that's the model of who Christ is. Who gave us the greatest model? Jesus did. He didn't have to give His life for us. He stepped down out of heaven, became a man, fully God, fully man, walked this earth, modeled for us what He wanted us to be like. And then He went to heaven that one day we will meet with Him. He gave us this great model that, hey, we can begin to model Christ to others. And then the last one that I like to look at is love. Man, we love people. We love them back to life. That's what Jesus did. I love, I love the story of Peter. It's one of my favorite stories, you know, where Jesus comes to him and he says, Peter, man, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And when he was saying, Peter, do you love me? He was saying this word called agape. He was asking Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Why was he doing that? And he did it three times. Because remember, Peter denied Jesus three times and the rooster crowed. And what did that do to Peter's heart when Jesus began to ask him, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? I, I don't know. I try to imagine where he's at, but I, I picture Peter ducking his head down. He's like, I can't do that, Lord. You know I can't love you like that. Man, I messed up. But then Jesus does something that's remarkable. He takes Peter. Because you, you can just see Peter's heart of repentance here. He takes Peter and says, Hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. So he calls Peter back to what he originally called him to do. He loved Peter back to life. And Peter goes on to change the world for Christ. He even gave his life for Christ, was crucified upside down because he's like, Hey, I don't want to be crucified like my Savior. They crucified him upside down. That's love. You see what Jesus did with Peter? And that's what we model, this great love for people. You know, it's easy for us to be like, ah, oh, there goes another one, man. I thought they were a believer, but look at them now. No, man, knock their door. Talk to them. Love them. Encourage them. And let God sort it out. That's what He calls us to do. That was the model He gave us. As He left this earth and began to ascend into heaven, He gives us, go therefore make disciples, teaching them, to observe all things, baptizing them, leading them to me. And man, that's amazing what Jesus left for us. This is it. That's what he left for us to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And again, as we close this out, I'm not saying that because, you know, I want to hurt your feelings. I haven't made disciples. Right? That's not the point. The point is that God gave us this great commission, this great calling. And that's what we were to do. And so here it is, man. 
to seek Him. Bow your head and say, Lord, I want to pour into people. I want to do what You call me to do. The thing with the Lord that I love, it's never too late. I love His retest. You know, when I was in math class and fell something, my teacher was very harsh. Sorry, you're out of here. God doesn't work like that. As long as you have breath, and as long as you are here, man, come on. I'll give you a chance. Let's go. And that's what it's about. So I want to I close out with that, and I want to pray and spend the rest of our time just seeking the Lord. You know, take this time. I know it's a Wednesday night. It's a midday Bible study, but... Just take this time allowing God to just work in your heart and through your heart. and you know, Take this time to just listen to Him. And maybe it is you're, you say, okay, I'm, I've done the work with the Lord, and okay, you, you can head on out. But if God is doing something in your heart, allow Him to work. I love the Lord like I began. I love Jesus. I love what He's doing in each and every one of you and what He's doing in our life and what He's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I am grateful and I'm thankful for Your mighty love for us, Lord. I'm thankful for this congregation as we gather together, Lord, and we look in Your Word and we thank You for this great commission, Lord. Lord, that we can go, therefore, and make disciples. And God, I pray over each and every heart and individual in here, Lord. You know the hearts. You know the individuals. And Father, I thank You for bringing them here, for bringing us together on this great Wednesday night, Lord. They could be doing anything they want, but they gather together to hear Your Word. They gather together to come to know You more. And Father, I just pray that as You work in and through each and every heart in here, Lord, that You would pour in each every life, Lord. And Father, we thank You for Your death, Your burial, Your resurrection, for the gift of eternal life. Father, that You didn't leave us dead in our sins, but You gave us the gift of eternal life. And Father, we thank You for that. And we are grateful for that. And we'll spend the rest of our life telling the world who you are. And Father, we honor you. We praise you. We seek you. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.